0: Please take your Bible and open them to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be there just briefly, just for a minute or two this morning. And then we'll actually be jumping around all over the New Testament. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that's unusual for us. Usually we camp out on one specific text or passage and we walk through it verse by verse But we just finished up the book of Colossians last week after a year of being in Colossians. And before we start our next book, which will be the book of Philippians, uh, I wanted to take some time, 8 to 10 or maybe even 12 weeks, and look at a very important subject in the Bible. And that subject is the church. In theological terms, just for fun information, we call this the study of ecclesiology. But for those of us who can't spell that word, We want to just refer to it as the study of the church. The Bible has a lot to say about the church. And that is a very important subject that we occupy our time with, that we give our attention to. And so today, in the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through what the Bible has to say about us gathering together, us congregating as the people of God. This morning we're going to give just a quick overview. And so I'll be touching on things, but not necessarily diving very deeply into things. Uh, These are the subjects we'll be looking at over the next several weeks. But this morning, I just want to expose us to them. And I want us to begin with a series of questions to maybe simulate our minds in the correct direction. The first question being this, what is the church? If you had to define that to somebody, if somebody approached you, on the street and ask you what is the church what biblical answer might you offer them might you give another question how does the church begin or how does the church come about and maybe some of you are thinking about this next question why is it even important to know about the church Shouldn't we just come together and do what we do, in fact, do what we want to do and do what we think is best and then and build ourselves up and encourage ourselves and then go on? Or is there something more to it? Are we actually not at liberty to do whatever we want? Are there rules and definitions and principles and descriptions of how we are to operate? Why is it even important to study the church? Well, this morning we're going to start where we should start, and that is with the existence of the church. The very basic, obvious, fundamental truth that the church exists. And if it exists, it exists by some sort of means and some sort of intention. What are those means and what what is that intention? The church exists and therefore we have to explore its origins. And in studying the origins of the church we will be helped to understand God's purpose for the church in the world. You and I, we might take it for granted that the church exists because we come to it every week. We might even take our claim of its legitimacy in a society for granted because we're a part of the church. But in a society and in a culture that we're living in right now that's ever increasingly desiring to expel the church from its midst, it's very important for us to know why it even exists in the first place. And does it carry any sort of authority with it? Or perseverance? What is God's desire? In fact, by the mere existence of the church, we conclude that God desires it to exist. Not just desires it, but wills it and purposes it to exist. Unfortunately, most people will attend church for a large part of their lives and never ask such questions or care to contemplate such realities. But if we're going to be healthy as a church, if we're going to be obedient as a church, if we're going to be obedient as Christians, and if we're going to bring glory to God as His people... Then we need to know what the church is, what she does, how she comes about, and why she is important. So we start with the church's existence. And it exists because God wills that the church exists. That's why the church is important. Because it's important to God. God has always been about the the business of gathering His people together. Even in uh, the garden, we find the importance of relationship. We've talked about this even in the last several weeks as we finished up with Colossians chapter 3 and chapter 4. God has created us. It's built into our DNA where we need and desire even a certain degree of human interaction, social interaction. Man and woman cannot thrive and flourish without the aid of one another. The only thing that wasn't good in God's garden before the fall was Adam's loneliness. And so God formed out of his rib Eve, a companion. That happens before the fall, not after the fall. After the fall, that need is only heightened and intensified. And for Christians now, that need is clarified. We need each other. And God has graciously gifted us with the church, with the fellowship of the saints. That has been God's plan from the beginning. And that is God's ultimate plan culminating in heaven, isn't it? I told you this morning, you guys in your singing made me long for heaven. That's because in heaven, all of God's people will finally be gathered together around his throne praising him. God not only has been working to bring about the gathering of his people from all Corners of the earth and all ages, all times, all nationalities. He intends also to end human history, end time with that gathering. So, God's church exists and it exists by His desire, which means it is not a human invention. It doesn't exist by human will. It exists by God's design. It exists in two continual states. First, as a universal church, and this is where we look in Matthew chapter 16. If you look in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, Jesus is speaking with His disciples. He begins by asking them what the world thinks of Him. In verse 13, who do people say that I am? The disciples respond in verse 14, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe one of the other prophets... In verse 15, Jesus makes it incredibly personal. But who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Peter replies, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first time we find the word church mentioned in the scriptures in the New Testament, and it's mentioned by our Lord, and He's promising its perseverance. And He refers to it in a universal sort of fashion. This is my church as a whole. Flip over now to Ephesians, New Testament letter, toward the latter half of your New Testament. Ephesians is loaded with references to the church. Look into chapter 1. Verse 22 and 23. We find it again referenced in a universal fashion. Verse 22. And God put all things under Christ's feet... And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Another example of a universal reference of the church, not in a singular context. Christ isn't just the head of one church, he's the head of the entire church. I'll flip a few pages to chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through the end of the chapter. Paul's actually teaching here about the relationship between Christian husbands and Christian wives in the the Christian household, but embedded in this teaching is a teaching about Christ and the church. So in verse 25, Paul writes and says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Again, a universal reference. And such a truth might be applied to each specific local church. It might be applied to our local church. It should be applied to our local church. But it doesn't only apply itself to our local church or any local church. It applies itself to every church that is congregated by the Spirit of Christ. Existing by the purpose and for the purpose of Christ. All that to say that in a very real, honest, spiritual way, God has tied the hearts of all of His children together in a universal church, in a universal fashion. So that every believer who's been born again, past, present, and yes, even into the future, and every brother and sister who's in the world right now belongs to the universal church of Christ. With Christ as their head, with the relationship of you and I, though we may may have never met them, We have brothers and sisters right now across the world asleep in their beds who are as much a part of the bride of Christ as you and I. And that's an important thing to understand. Christ has a massive family that you and I get to belong to. But the universal church is only one, I would even say smaller aspect of the church. It's how the church will ultimately exist in all of eternity. And God allows it to even exist now in a spiritual sense. But the other way that the church exists continually is in a local congregation. That local existence of the church, I believe, is born in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. If you want to go ahead and flip your Bibles over to Acts chapter 2 Very important text in discussing the church. Verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Really the entire chapter. Local churches are the manifestations of the universal church. And they exist in time and in space and in reality. They are the flesh and bone of the universal church's reality. The vast majority of references in the Scriptures to the church are referencing the local church. Smaller congregations of brothers and sisters who meet regularly and do certain things and exist in a certain way. The local church, according to the Scripture, and therefore according to God, is of immense importance and holds a place of prominence in the life of the believer. Now, Acts chapter 2, I believe, is the place where the church is born. Greg Allison, a systematic theologian, also believes that the church is born in Acts chapter 2. And he looks at these verses and he says the two basic elements of a church's nature come together in Acts chapter 2 to give birth to the church.